Hi folks, I'm Alan Watson and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 19th, 2010. Now I always get this little bit of the show over quickly and I'm sure most folks skip it over when they, they go into the site later on and try and listen. But uh, this is a, the few minutes I'd say um, to go into the, the, the website, the main website that I have, cuttingthroughthematrix.com and help yourself to all the free downloads of talks I've given over the years. There's lots of audios there. All the sites you'll see listed there too, the alternate sites have the same audios and uh, a, tra- a lot of transcripts in English as well for print up. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwatchsentinel.eu and you'll find a whole variety to choose from. And while you're at it, always remember too, it helps me out if you buy the books I have for sale and the CDs and the DVDs and so on, because that's what helps me uh, keep uh, on going. And there's not really uh, a lot of that goes out much too these days. From the US to Canada, you can purchase by the use of personal check. You can still use an international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. It's one of the country left. You can still do that too, to Canada. And you can send cash. Some people just send cash. Some people order by PayPal. If you want to do so, send a PayPal donation. You'll find out how to do it on the website. And uh, followed by a separate email with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it out to you. And the same goes for across the rest of the world, except you can't send a personal check from Europe, for instance. You've got to send an, either an international order from your bank, no kidding, or cash. Or you can use PayPal again to donate or to purchase. Same idea, separate email with your name, address, and order after the donation. Uh, you can use Western Union, which is a bit steep. Or you can use MoneyGram, which I think is a little bit cheaper. And that's up to you. And I'll get them out to you to say as fast as I can. Uh, and that's what does make me uh, just trickle over, as I like to say. And remember, too, donations are appreciated. It's always been the same few people over the years that tend to donate at all, and yet thousands of people use the website. And the articles I bring up and the way I present them is used widely uh, by lots of other uh, shows as soon as they're, I've put them over the air. And um, you remember, too, that the ads you hear on this show are paid directly to RBM, for the airtime and the broadcast and the staff and their equipment and their bills. So you have to help me out with mine. Now, I've run into the history of this great New World Order, which is always ongoing, really. Someone told me once that New World Order is always new because they always have a, a, another part to add or a chapter. I don't know what chapter we're on now. I think it's probably into the thousands. But this has been the way for probably since the time uh, since we, we, could, we could write or somebody kept notes or records of what was happening in the world or history was written down for the first time, probably even before that when it was all oral history. But 
there's always been new world orders where guys want to, to have big ideas fulfilled in their lifetime or even in their children's lifetime or grandchildren's lifetime, and they'd go for it in some big long-term plan. I think Carl Quigley put it best when he said that foundations which form the parallel government, which are outside the jurisdiction of even taxation because they're under the guise of charities, you see, multi-trillion dollar charities like the Rockefeller Foundation who fund lots of NGOs. He said that that basically they can set their agenda and take 100 years, 200 years if, if need be, to fulfill it because um, they have their mandate. They can hire... Uh, retire and hire and retire with the same agenda for for 100, 200 years and get their agenda through. Back with more after these messages. Folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, just chatting about this new world order. It's the never-ending story, that's what I call it, because it's it's always another part to go through, because they don't just make an agenda for one generation. They have generations worked out for the future, including, I'm sure, right into the brave new world scenario and all kinds of transhumanist things and creatures, etc., and they probably even have all the ways that they're to introduce these topics and beings, in fact, into the public and get them to accept it, how long it will take and so on, the build-up to it, the presentation of them, the, the sob stories of how they're being discriminated against and all that kind of stuff. And then they go into, well, they're just one of us, aren't they? And, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because this is an old agenda. And the masters themselves have said in their own books, in fact, that they'll remain unchanged, basically. They'll probably give themselves more longevity than they already have, which is a lot more than most of us get. But um, in reality, they've got the whole future planned. And with foundations, you can certainly, um, especially when they're all working together, they're really all one as far as I'm concerned. They're all intertwined with each other. I think Rockefeller also runs the Ford uh, Foundation, the, the same board. And uh, then, then they have the Carnegie Foundation and the, the Guggenheim and all. So many foundations, it's unbelievable. And some other foundations out there, there's actually more numerous foundations out there that you've never heard of. Uh, there are really fronts, they're funded fronts as foundations by the same original big uh, mega foundations such as the Rockefellers. But they run the world, basically. They're the guys who can swing millions in the way to a politician uh, in their direction when they want them into power. Um, we always think of lobbyists, for instance, as big corporations coming in to get some government deal or government law passed so they can sell their products or something like that. But um, like the pharma does when they create the flu epidemic every year, stuff like that. But we forget that uh, these big foundations also fund in their own boys. And Quigley even went through that because he tied the foundations and their creation in as a parallel government with the founding of what they called the, the Milner Group and then the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, DASH, comes from foreign relations. Same bunch. They all work together. They even have foundations fronting for them whose sole job it is, is to go around the other ones and all the NGO groups across the world 
to create consensus. They call it consensus building. So they're all on board with the same agendas. You see. Now, that's what you're up against. Now, we don't vote any of these guys in. And if you think your little vote um, and it's going to count to your politician, uh, if uh, you ask something for your politician, uh, as opposed to Mr. Rockefeller, well, good luck to you. Mr. Rockefeller will know what he wants, and he'll get a quick, uh, a very quick answer, yes, uh, from whichever guy he phones up and says, do this. They will jump and do it, believe you me. Believe you me. Yeah. Not only that, you know, uh, they have access within the FBI, etc., and they can blackmail anybody who doesn't play the game with them. That's how things really work, really work in the world. And you know something? That's how they've always worked in this world. Dirty tricks and all that kind of stuff. If you want a, a population you can handle and manage, you must make them obedient. You must give them the same training. You must have a culture industry suited for the time period, uh, for obedience primarily. Religion always tied in with it and went along with it. And um, in some countries it became almost circus-like where, where guys like Billy Graham and quite a genealogy he's got too. It kind of shocks a lot of Christians when they find out who he is. Anyway, but Billy Graham used to go into the, to the White House and pray for the troops who were going to be sent overseas to kill whoever it was going to be, you know. Stuff like that. It was like a charade, a ritual. Uh, that didn't make any sense according to what even Christianity was supposed to be about. At least the more modern Christianity. So, it's quite fascinating to sort of study this as you go through life and, and you watch it. And up until about the 50s, they wanted the, the obedient society um, who knew the moral values that were given off by heart. They knew the local rules. They didn't need a lot of policemen, for instance. Every youngster knew the basic laws that they couldn't break. And um, you didn't have all the rapings going on. And the, the, there was, <laughs> drugs were almost unknown. And um, in came the 60s with the, the promotion of a whole new way of living, as exactly as Huxley and others said they would, they would happen. They brought in a whole new way of living uh, to destroy the old and bring in the new. Meanwhile, people were, were fighting communism across the world, supposedly. They had gone to Korea and then Vietnam. And I never figured out why they didn't stay at home and fight it there, because all the top communists really were in government and, and uh, up in the State Department and all the top places, as they were, in fact, in Canada and elsewhere. In fact, the Prime Minister of Canada at one point uh, was the common turn leader. That was Pierre Trudeau. He led the delegation of Canada, of, of young communists, to their international meeting in Moscow in 1952. All the media kept obligingly silent about that when he ran for his office and became, and it was put in as Prime Minister. And I say Putin because I think these guys are all Putin across the world. That's my opinion. Because the agenda has never, ever wavered. It's never gone off course. Uh, left wing, right wing, doesn't matter what you want to call them. Uh, feet, head, it doesn't make any difference to me, but it's the same bird. And uh, they're saying the same, the same treaties, the ongoing integrative treaties of the United Nations are signed by all parties who come into power in all countries. Because they'd all agreed to sign all these different things, treaties, when they signed on to the, to the United Nations Charter in 1946, I think it was, in San Francisco. 
and they have the great plans. The politicians don't even need to really know them. If you want to get on in any big corporation, it's no different than, than governments. Now, government has a massive bureaucracy, and we forget that corporations also have massive bureaucracies, exactly the same as governments do, with the different departments and the rules for every department, and bureaucrats don't think for themselves. They take orders and go through their rule books and find the formulas and try to work something into existence, something they've been told to do. It's no different than government, the bureaucrats, really. But when you find them all on board with government, the corporations and government together, for their global warming, their carbon taxes, uh, the depopulation agenda, too many people, etc., um, more control over the general public as time goes on through technology as a must-be, a must-be, because they just know there's going to be more and more terrorism across the planet. That's going to be the whole warfare of the future. Maggie Thatcher was talking about that back in the 80s after going to her first big meetings with the Royal Institute of the International Affairs. But that's where it would happen. She even said that the next major war would uh, be in the Middle East, she said, and Asia, uh, with fundamental religion, as she said. And sure enough, they'll they get their wishes because they make things happen. They make things happen. And the longer you live, the more you realize that nothing happens by itself. You don't spontaneously get people coming out of the Middle East hitting the West. It doesn't happen that way. There's got to be a reason for it happening in the first place. And then you find the CIA, of course, were in there long ago, uh, creating radical groups, supposedly, to fight the Soviet threat. And then once the Soviet threat was over and they're all buddies, and the Rees Commission showed they were to join with the West eventually, that's what happened. We're now part Soviet under this new uh, CAPICOM system we live in. And we find the same agendas steamrolling ahead now with the integration of massive bureaucracies running over the people, uh, the banks in collusion with government telling them what to do, uh, looting the general public like they did in the old days, the pirates' days, and that's where most of the bankers came from. And uh, the government have said in all their statements for the future that they're not going to change the banking rules. We're being raped and pillaged over and over and over again, not just the Great Depression and this depression that we're just going really into now, by design, at the right time. But we were raped and pillaged back in the 1800s as well. There were three collapses in the U.S. in the late 1800s because Gould and a couple of other guys got together, and just like they do today, and basically looted uh, the banks system themselves, which they controlled. And they, they bought up vast properties for peanuts afterwards as all the companies went under. And thousands of people lost their pensions. Nothing new, and the law has never changed. Why? Because they want to use it again down the road. It's astonishing, really. No country on the planet will touch the banking system. No country on the planet will touch the banking system. Everybody stares clear of it. Some people will get up and posture and say, yeah, if I get in, I'll do this and so on. Would they? Would they really? Would they even be allowed to? Of course not. Of course not. 
Anyway, it's a new world order. It's ongoing. They know where they're going. Transhumanism, vastly reduced population, and um, no children. They don't want children coming out anymore into this world. They want to reduce the population. And one of the ways to do it is have fewer and fewer children. Right now, there's a big campaign on the go. And I'll talk about that later. To sterilize the unfit. It's the same eugenics program using the same kinds of excuses they used back in the early 1900s. And um, they point at the effects of the disintegration of society now that we have had this cultural war really promoted big time since the 60s. And we're seeing the, the fallout today with uh, the dysfunctional families, drugs and so on. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. And uh, talking about the banking systems and so on, and uh, really, I'd love to go into the history of banking, uh, even in ancient times, and wealth itself for that matter, and how uh, we're supposed to view it and how it really was, and show you the corns, etc., they've, they've done down through the ages, the same kind of corns, and how they had wars that started in ancient times, how the bankers really operated which um, was always to cause wars and benefit from the wars, even fund all the, the, the... Before munitions, they used bows and arrows and spears and chariots and horses and so on, all that kind of stuff. They would supply the money for all those kind of things. And they'd even accompany big armies like the Romans. Wherever they went in, they brought these, these guys with, uh, who lent them the money with them, who were given rights then to introduce cash into conquered countries who had never used it before. And then... They had the right to tax it back from them to pay off um, the money they'd loaned the Roman armies. It's, it's an astonishing history, really, in reality. But they always keep themselves out there to direct fighting and all that kind of stuff. They like the other people to take the blame. And nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. I mean, look at the protection that banks have against all, all that they've done even recently. Just, just recently, for instance. Never mind the Soros stunt he pulled quite a few years back. Now, where, where he, if, in the papers, he boasted how he phoned up to his friends and they found a way to sink the British banks. So much so that they profited incredibly from it because they said it was not illegal to do. And it's true. They haven't put any laws in to stop them from doing that even since then. And the Prime Minister, of course, will have to go to the, to the money lenders and borrow money to get the pound afloat again. And this is, is apparently quite legal. And then the money that's all borrowed is put down um, to be paid by and guaranteed by the guarantors who are, who? The public. The public, who are taught once again to be nice, meek and mild, and, and, and but trusting, trusting in government and so on, trusting in this system, just to get raped further down the road or their children's raped again. Quite a system, isn't it? And you think you have your governments. You've never had your governments. Never. Never had your governments. They were never yours. Here's an article here that gets you going. 
And lots of articles are meant to get you going, of course. They point out what is happening, but it doesn't tell you the solution. And the solution, of course, would be to scrap the existing system altogether uh, of banking, especially the way it comes out from the top. And uh, and do like Canada did up until the 1930s, where Canada was, in, was debt-free. I mean, literally the Central Bank of Canada, the Canadian Bank or Bank of Canada, created its own money, and then they lent it out to the banks. And then when they got back from the banks, paid off all their debts. Then the banks could loan out that, etc., etc. They also spent it into the communities, into the countries. They spent it, printed up, and spent it in, and that's how money circulated. And the Great Depression, they came all over the world to see how it worked in Canada. And in that, uh, I'll put that link up again tonight's Old Canada. And uh, you, you can see a, a good history of the banking system as it operated here and how they came into Canada for advice, but didn't implement advice, of course. And then eventually they scrapped the Canadian system and made us borrow, made the Canadian government borrow from private banks using compound interest. That took a bit of paying off, you know, bribes, etc. And that's it, the whole thing, too. Down through history, the leaders are always put in who are completely corruptible. All of them. Look at Tony Blair, who ran as a Labour Party man, the Working Party people. A guy who'd never lifted a spade in his life. Never mind got his hands dirty. Oxford trained, playing the role. And look at all the millions he's raked in since. That's his payoffs for getting Britain into a war and and helping his masters out, you know, to make more and more dough. That's how it really, really is. That's how it really is. This article is from Huffington Post. It says here, For the U.S., nearly a dozen major banks and hedge funds anticipating quick profits from homeowners who fall behind on property taxes are quietly plowing hundreds of millions of dollars into businesses that collect the debts, tack on escalating fees, and threaten to foreclose on the homes of those who fail to pay. The Wall Street investors, which include Bank of America and J.P. Morgan Chase and Company, have purchased from local governments the right to purchase from local governments the right to collect delinquent taxes on several hundred thousand properties. Many in distressed housing markets, the Huffington Post investigative fund has found. In many cases, the bank, uh, the banks and hedge funds created new companies to do their bidding. They gave the companies obscure, even whimsical names and used post office boxes as their addresses, masking Wall Street's dominant new role as a surrogate tax collector. So, nothing changes. I was talking about that years ago, you know, whether it was the, the, the same guys collected the taxes. In exchange for paying overdue real estate taxes, the investors gain legal powers from local governments to collect the debt and levy fees. At first, property owners who may owe little more than a few hundred dollars, then they find out their bills soaring into the thousands. In some jurisdictions, the new Wall Street tax collectors also chase debtors over other small bills, such as for water, sewer, and sidewalk repair. Sidewalk repair or you're out to your home. Bye-bye home. Back after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. I'm reading this article which is, is, it kind of gets you going because of so blatant what the banks are up to. But again, when have you ever really believed in banks being decent societies and foundations and all the rest of it? What are they really? Huh? Look at their history. All down through time, it's always the same. Always the same. There's no morality as such. There's no pity in banks. It's nothing to do with that. It's just numbers and getting more numbers added to the bank's numbers. That's what it's all about. It says here, In June, the Bank of America snatched up liens on properties in Florida owned by low-income residents and non-profit public interest groups, including a Salvation Army shelter, a preschool, and a wildlife rescue group involved in the Gulf of Mexico oil spill cleanup. The investigative fund found in its examination, and the Bank of America also bought liens on properties of the wealthy, including a professional basketball star with the Los Angeles Lakers, Lamar Odom. It says some observers of the financial industry say they were surprised to learn that banks, some of which received billions of dollars in taxpayer-funded bailouts in recent years, were rushing to profit from homeowners having trouble paying their tax bills. It says the five big banks involved in the industry known as tax lien investing collected a total of more than $106 billion in bailout money through the government's troubled asset relief program known as TARP. Can you believe that? You know, see that tells you who your government works for. You know, that's that's all you have to know, isn't it? Over the last year, Bank of America, which received forty-five billion dollars in these taxpayer funds in two thousand eight and two thousand nine, has bought liens on properties in scores of municipalities in at least a dozen states. Bank of America repaid the government in two thousand and nine. Still, noted Cox, there's no bailout for people struggling to pay their taxes, and that's true, isn't there? It's funny how the people, you know, the people, they're always talking about the people. They don't give a damn about the people. They do a lot of talking about the people. But there's no bailout for the people, is there? To pay their taxes. Years ago, the big banks um, left the buying of tax liens largely to local real estate specialists and small-time investors. These days, banks and hedge funds, stung by the failure of many speculative investments, see tax liens as a relatively safe option that can yield returns of around 7%. That's minimum, of course. And some of them are also packaging tax liens as securities in a similar way to how unpaid home loans are securitized, it says, um, and selling them to investors. So they're all into the same game, too, as they bring what was once a a powerful country down, because really America has almost served its job that was created to do. If it wasn't created to do, it was certainly taken over awfully quickly and used for another purpose. And there's no doubt whatsoever in my mind about that. A big, big agenda, long-term agenda, long, long long-term agenda. I always said when the U.S. is ready to finish off its last few jobs, they'll be pulling uh, the rug from underneath the feet at home, of all the, all the Americans at home because they won't need them anymore. That's what they've done all done through history. Read history. That's what you know what happens. And the big powerful people with the cash, when they move out, the country collapses behind them. Arctic ice rebounds predicted. Interesting article by Verity Jones, October the 16th. Uh, and she says here, that man is not the primary cause of change 
in the Arctic, says the, a new book by a Russian scientists. Uh, forget the orthodox view of cli- Arctic climate change. This book has a very different message. And then she gives a link to it. Published last year, this is a synthesis of work by the Russian Arctic and Ar- Antarctic Research Institute. It sets out the data and experience of scientists over 85 years, drawing together much already published in the area. For a book that is built under a climate change heading, this is actually more an antidote to the hype, usually associated with the warming in the Arctic. A few pages of each chapter are available online, and she gives a link to that. Uh, And even that is well worth reading, no doubt even better in its entirety. It says the preface sets the tone of the book very clearly. Scientists have predicted a significant decrease in sea ice extent in the Arctic and even its complete disappearance in the summertime by the end of the 21st century. This monograph presents results of studies of climatic system changes in the Arctic focused on ice cover that do not justify such extreme conclusions. Many studies and international projects, such as the Arctic Climate Impact Assessment, attribute the air temperature increase during the last quarter of the 20th century exclusively to accumulation of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. However, these studies typically do not account for natural hydrometeorological fluctuations whose effects on multi-year variability, as this monograph shows, can far exceed the anthropogenic impact on climate. In other words, what they're telling you is that it's not man-made whatsoever, and we've been in a cooling phase for the last 25 years. And this is also taken up, in, in, um, as I say, by What's Up With That. There's What's Up With That did basically the same article. I think he took it from Verity Jones. But uh, it's, it's well worth reading. They have the data there. And they even say that, um, the, of course, the computer models will blame it on man because they don't have all the factors fed into it. In fact, how they've set it up, these computers is to blame man for everything that happens, everything that happens. But we are in a cooling phase, and they go through uh, the different cooling phases we've had down through time and the different cycles that we have. There's multi-cycles, big cycles, mega-cycles, and mini-cycles, quite typically of warm and cold, warm and cold, just like my old school books when I was young uh, told me, even at primary school. Of course, they've all been taken off the shelves now too, I'm sure. So there's more stuff to, to, to verify that. Now, a little a bit of humor here, and we need some, of course, once in a while, uh, because they're trying to ban, as you well know, the I call them the normal light bulbs, the ones that give off light, uh, and, and replace them all with these awfully twisted little uh, yellow dim things that the claimers just, are just as good to tell us they're full of mercury vapor. And also, if you bring your radio up to them, your radio will start buzzing like crazy, because they give off a magnetic field as well. I don't know what that does to your brain, but they do admit they give off UV, so don't sit too near them. So you get a burn off them. But anyway, the old-fashioned lights were far better. They were actually white, you know, kind of white color of our lights. You could see what you were reading. You didn't get a headache, and there was no buzzing, and you didn't get... Folk have actually complained of headaches with these ones, and they do give a much higher frequency off. They can test it with meters and tell you that too. Now, I don't see them pushing this kind of technology out there unless there's a good reason for it, and it's nothing to do with saving energy as far as I'm concerned. It's probably some other function which we'll find out 25 years down the road. Anyway, they're trying to ban the old ones and phase them out, and I think the EU already did it. So a German came up with an idea of how to get round the law, and he's calling them heat balls. 
She's renaming the old light bulbs heat balls to outwit the EU. That's that new uh, Soviet parliament over there, a light uh, bulb ban. So a German entrepreneur is, is uh, bypassing a European Union ban on light bulbs of more than 60 watts by marketing his own brand as many heaters. Good for him. It says Siegfried uh, Rothauser and his brother-in-law have come up with a legal way of importing and distributing 75 and 100 watt light bulbs by producing them in China, importing them as small heating devices and selling them as heat balls. Uh, to improve energy efficiency, the EU has backed improved energy efficiency. It makes everybody short-sighted, these new ones. It says the EU has banned the sale of bulbs of over 600 uh, or 60 watts to the annoyance of the mechanical engineer from the western city of Essen. Rothauser studied EU legislation and realized that because the inefficient old bulbs produce more warmth and light, he calculated heat makes up 95% of their output and light just 5% that could be sold legally as heaters, which makes sense, actually, because, you see, most of the time, even in Canada, you, you use it in the winter time because where it gets dark for a good part of the, the much longer part of the day, and it gives off a bit of heat as well. So that's good for you since we're covered in snow generally. And uh, what's wrong with that? Whereas these other things are pretty useless. Apart from giving you a suntan or a burn, uh, these new light bulbs don't do much else. And God help you if you break them and breathe in the fumes off the mercury. Anyway, it, says it gives their, their, their actual website here, heatball.de. It says the two engineers describe the heat ball as action art and as resistance against legislation which is implemented without recourse to democratic and parliamentary process. Quite right, because uh, they don't have uh, um, a democratic parliament in the EU, and it was never set up to be a democratic parliament. It's an authoritarian, dictatorial parliament, and that's what it is. Again, the US too, they're now tagging children to see if they had their health, their uh, immunization shots. I'll put these links up. Remember, cutting through the com at the end of the show. Immunization shots will be provided by the Marion County Health Department's main office today through Friday, blah, blah, blah. And it says, Anna, Anya Cooper thought she had taken all the appropriate steps to ensure her child had the proper vaccination documentation, but her son was missing one thing, a green sticker. The sticker was required by the Indianapolis Public Schools officials Monday to prove students had documentations of new shorts required by state law that went into effect this year. Now, if you didn't have the sticker and you didn't get to school, I think I'd be great and I'd be happy. I'd be, I'd be losing a lot of stickers, I think. But anyway, no sticker, no school. And then it says here, they complain about children not being in school long enough but they find every excuse not to let the children go, said Cooper, whose son is a junior at Tech High School on the near east side. I'm a parent just trying to get her child to school, she said. I had done everything to keep what happened from happening. So our son was allowed to attend class after school officials verified his immunizations, but Cooper's experience underlines his struggles plaguing districts attempting to enforce the new vaccination requirements and the challenges in updating student immunization records. So, you know, they used to brand cattle. I don't know if they still do by tagging their ears. And that meant they were up to snuff for the Ministry of um, Natural Resources and the Farming and Agriculture and all that with the shots, etc., etc. Maybe maybe that's what all this craze is about for, for pinning things in your cheeks, etc. Maybe they can pin something on us to say we've been immunized. 
And one day down the road too, you know darn well you're going to get a little chip. I've already told us this. Your chip, even an ID card, can be used and activated to include all your immunizations. One day you'll walk into a store and, and if you haven't had your recent immunizations, alarms will go off. And your face will appear in that big giant TV screen. And uh, you'll blush and look, look really sad and you can shrink and all the rest of it. And uh, you'll get be grabbed by the security guards and thrown in the dungeons like a leper. And you think I'm kidding, don't you? <laughs> but that's what's coming. And to show you how much they, they, they love you, that military organization, which is military, by the way, uh, two or three years ago I uh, put a site up where you could actually see them with their uniforms on, maybe in the archives at cuttingswithmilitaries.com. Uh, the FDA is actually a military organization. It's part of the military with officers and all the rest of it running it. But they don't want to require labeling of genetically modified salmon or any other food for that matter. And this article is about this um, this year. As the Food and Drug Administration considers whether to approve genetically modified salmon, one thing seems certain, shoppers staring at fillets in the seafood department will find it tough to pick out the conventional fish from the one created with genes from another species. Despite a growing public demand for more information about how food is produced, that won't happen with the salmon because of idiosyncrasies embedded in federal regulations. It says the FDA says it cannot require a label on the genetically modified food once it determines that the altered fish is not materially different from other salmon, something agency scientists have said is true. I guess when it's eaten stuffed would still be a salmon, you know, it would kind of look like it and you know, it had fins and all that. Perhaps more surprising, conventional food makers say the FDA has made it difficult for them to boast that their products do not contain genetically modified ingredients. The labeling question has emerged that as the FDA determines where to approve the fish, an Atlantic salmon known as Aqua Advantage that grows twice as fast as its natural counterpart. The decision carries greater weight because while genetically modified agriculture has been permitted for years and engineered crops are widely used in processed foods, this would be the, fact, the first modified animal allowed for human consumption in the U.S. The Aqua Advantage salmon has been given a gene from the, the, the ocean pout, an eel-like fish, and a growth hormone from a Chinook salmon. I wonder what else it was given too. They won't tell you, you see. Actually, you're not allowed to ask because... It's a secret, and the guys who do the, the, the modification, the patents out on them, just like, like Monsanto has. So they don't have to tell you what they've done. And what are they really re-engineering? Is it the salmon first, then you who eat it? You have to ask yourself these questions. I saw an article once in, in uh, a Canadian newspaper, and then an article appeared too on the CBC television, I think it was, or public broadcasting. And they showed you the Department of Fisheries in Canada with these long, long running troughs of water and fish passing through. And every fish that came through, uh, these people would stand there with these white coats and their big rubber gloves and pick one up at a time, just touch it against a little, like a pencil thing that was sticking out from a post. And that was implanting new genes into the fish. Only took a second, and what it happens is um, they use E. coli to bind to the new gene to carry it further into the fish's tissue to give it a chance to work. 
And as the old cells of the fish die off and are naturally replaced by its own, this new gene will take over and the fish literally is bioengineered from within as a different kind of fish, a new fish. And they've been doing this for years and putting them back in lakes and things. Well, guess what? I mean, that E. coli and everything else is still active with those different genes and you're eating them. But who cares about the consequences, eh? If you take a sudden desire to start swinging a lot and, you know, you don't need a snorkel anymore, you know you're in trouble. But the fact is, we're being bioengineered ourselves. We are being bioengineered, folks. No doubt about it. Now, huh, Canada, <laughs> Canada, Canada. Canada loves to go through a, a process of being believed with its propaganda across the world that we have these mounties and stuff, and it's just a wonderful country, and so so peaceful here, and lots of pristine snow, and that the animals love us, and we love the animals, and all that kind of stuff. It's great PR uh, to cover really what goes on. There's a lot of dirt under the snow in Canada, uh, apart from the fact that we were into bacterial warfare long before the U.S. and Britain were into it, and even testing our own people before they were too. But the Toronto Sun has uh, some pictures up of an, a guy I mentioned months ago uh, who is, um, he is uh, now pleaded guilty. He's the, uh, he was a commander of a massive air base in Canada who raped different women and killed them and collected hundreds of women's underwear and wore it. So I'll put the links up and you can see all the pretty pictures if you want. I'll be back with more on the story after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix talking about Russell Williams who was a commander of a large military base in Canada. He flew the Queen about at one point and other VIPs and uh, he had this amazing fetish and obsession really uh, which led to him murdering uh, women uh, and raping them but also breaking into who knows how many hundreds of homes? We just don't know yet over the years. We well, don't even know. And I'm sure the military knew this for years, but he kept it quiet. I'm sure they've covered for him many times over until he started to go into the homes of those in the bases in Canada, uh, the, the houses, I should say, or homes and the towns surrounding the bases in Canada, and uh, start to do it there. They'd have to eventually admit they couldn't do anything with this guy. Because he's been abroad too in countries where people go missing all the time in certain areas, and no one would even question it. So I'm sure this was not his first time at killing people and raping them. But he went, even went into to, to young children's, 11-year-old, 12-year-old's uh, bedrooms and um, stole their panties and stuff, photographed them all. He'd, he'd masturbate on their beds. and uh, What a creep this character is. And and then, again, as I say, for those who really, really are in... I don't even know if people are shocked anymore because with all the all the, the, the stuff that used to be called perversion all getting paraded everywhere as normal, I don't think if they even watched the slideshow of him dressed up with all this gear on that, that he's stolen, it would even have any shock value at all. I think society is that far gone because of the wonders of the political, cultural industry that's brought us down to this level. Nothing shocks us really anymore, does it? 
really, really doesn't. It really doesn't. So I'm just going to touch on that one, read it for yourself, I'll put the links up. And for those who like pretty pictures, they can definitely waste their time looking at them. It'd be no different from sure from lots of stuff they already watch on the internet anyway, and on regular television. Even their comedies now, they're promoting all that stuff. Have been for years, mind you. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Read it for yourself and see how sometimes the mighty fall only because they can't uh, take the word from the wise, as they call it, at the top, and hush up their activities, cool it a bit, and don't do it in Canada. And the four guilty of plotting plotting attacks on New York synagogues were found guilty, of course. Then it turns like, like, like every other one they've ever had in Britain and in the States and in Canada, that, a, that a, 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 an informant, they call them informants, FBI informant, set them up to do this. Set guys up who probably would never have done nothing but yap and, and, and yell and sound macho for the rest of their lives. Set them up with the, the real stuff and so on, or they thought it was real stuff to blow up synagogues so that they can find terrorism where there was none before. It's the old story. The same thing happened in Canada, where a CSIS agent, that's the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, uh, had a, a guy who was a, a Muslim uh, recruited in, as a, a full-paid member of CSIS, not just an informant, set out there to, to put a good website up and say all the nasty things and get away with it. That's your first clue, to get away with it. And then brought young guys in who fell for it all, set them up with stuff. They supplied, the RCMP supplied them with the explosives. Then they came and arrested them. Same old stuff over and over ad nauseum. So all the young guys out there, don't fall for this stuff. And ask yourself, how did they get away with it? From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada. Good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.